on Retake Loungers. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Retake Lounge. We are recording episode 13 for you guys tonight, and we are going to be talking about pushing. Reticulated pythons and pushing is something that happens pretty commonly. If you've never heard of that before, we're going to dive into why retakes push, how to resolve those issues. Before we even jump into any of that, just want to go ahead and remind you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, and comment. Um, help interact in the comments and, and provide some more information if you guys have that available uh, to offer. And if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I said it right this time, Apple Podcasts, not music. Um, go ahead and, and like and follow, rate those episodes, rate the podcast. That goes a long way for us because we are actually uploading through a uh, podcast streaming yeah. service called Anchor. And the more views, the more likes, the more ability we have to um, make a penny or two here and there from there. But um, aside from that. And that just goes towards us, you know, doing this yeah. thing in person, being able to have less awkward cutoffs, yeah. that kind of thing. Um as well, just make sure uh, we have a great community going on. Oh, wow. We have a great community go going on over at our uh, Patreon. Uh, we have an awesome Discord server as well, just where people are chatting all the time, spreading information. So uh, go ahead, become a lounger today as well. Make sure you're supporting US Arc. Uh, watch for the newsletters coming out. Help when necessary and you know, yeah, there's been some recent newsletters that have been coming out in different cities. So always pay attention to that. You never know when you're going to be impacted. And if you guys are like tuning in for the first time and you're wondering about retakes, but you're not there yet, I would still encourage you join the Patreon, be a part of the Discord community, because a lot of our, our folks in there don't have, I sound like an old, a lot of our folks, um, a lot of our members in there um, don't even have retics yet. They're getting all that information and it's a great place to start and, and learn with other people. We have people in there that have been keeping boas for years and years and other species that you could also get information on your other animals as well. So yeah, so we have, we have Patreon members from around the world. So you're getting a whole lot of information, a whole lot of varying information when it comes to uh how people are caring for these animals laws from different states laws from different countries it's really interesting so uh consider it yeah. become a lot of you that are already a part thank you so much for supporting us it means a lot to us um nathan let's jump into the episode um we're going to be talking about pushing so let's just open up it yeah, the most, uh, I mean, if you are if you keep retics for long enough, you're going to run yeah. into it. So I, I'm assuming, and my question that I was going to ask you was, have you had retics push before? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to dig, and I will find it. I know I've said it in episodes past, but 100% uh, this picture is coming this episode. Um, but the male I used two years ago for my first breeding uh, when he was a baby, he pushed his face to the point of splitting the top almost in half. So uh, the breeder of that animal uh, sold it to someone else just saying, hey, you're taking a chance on this thing. And, you know, luckily we know retics are super, super hardy animals and that animal healed up. So, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit into the episode as well, just the he healing abilities of these animals. But um yeah, I've definitely dealt dealt with some animals that push. Uh, one of his babies who looks exactly like him, he pushes even though his sister 
right next to them on the same cage, same heating setup, uh, even though they're on separate sides. No, no pushing at all. Perfect face. So uh, I think uh, individuality comes into play. Uh, temperatures, humidity, uh, interactivity and in your enclosure, places to hide, that kind of thing really come into play. But we'll, we'll kind of dive into e- each of those little yeah. And I mean, that. even the things that like I've been desensitized to pushing, pushing because I've been keeping retakes for a while now. Um, but even like my, my hatchlings, like I would notice like, you know, a few days go by and literally a few days, three days after they ate and I would see them up at their tubs in the hatchling rack and I would see them trying to push their way out. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Um, and they were looking for their next meal. Um, so let's kind of talk about that first reason I think that we should get into pushing. Um, what, what I actually, so pushing sucks. It, well, and, and if you go onto any retic forum, that's one of the first answers you're going to get. If you ask, why is my retic pushing? Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, I, I actually, so aside from the annoyance and the risk of the animal, um, hurting themselves with pushing, um, retics are great in the sense of like when something is off or they're not getting something that they, they, they need, um, or you're giving them too much of something, pushing is one of the biggest behaviors that they tell you that something is off. Whereas other snakes don't necessarily do that. And, you know, you, you might be sitting on an issue that that snake is having and there's no clear sign up until the snake is sick or something's wrong with it. So I it's kind of like a, a curse and a blessing, so to say, when it comes to um, retics pushing because you clearly don't want it. But if it's pushing, you know something is wrong. So feeding. Um, when retics get hungry and you're not feeding them as often, um, they can become habitual pushers, right? They get hungry. Um, has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's the first thing I check along with temperature. Um, I always keep a log of when I feed all of my animals. So always just looking back at records. Uh, and then I'll adjust prey size if needed or add a second meal if I, if I need to. Um, but really it comes down to I want to see a good size lump in that snake and then check temperatures, make sure my temperatures are in like the mid eighties on my hotspot and make sure that they have somewhere in the seventies on their cool spot that they can retreat to. So those are the big two things that I check first and foremost when. Yeah. So, so yeah, feeding and temperatures, right? Those are going to be the two biggest reasons that you uh, run into pushing as Nathan said. So like um, I I actually go in that same sequence, to be honest. Um, If I notice that a snake is pushing and pushing, um, you know, the first thing that I'll do is offer it a good sized meal, but, but let me back up on that statement. Cause it's not a blanket statement every single time. That's what I do because, um, I've had issues where I have a snake and I feed it in three days and we're talking about a mature snake, not a hatchling. I'll feed it. Well, and, and refer to our feeding video too. If you have any questions on, you know, am I feeding my snake appropriately? Um, you know, if you are meeting the requirements of uh, giving that snake a balanced diet, you know, making sure it's getting fed regularly, then, you know, you probably shouldn't just slam it with an extra meal just to slam it with an right. extra meal and try to 
Yeah. Stop pushing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't always go straight to food. I know if it's been like a week or so, or maybe even five days and the snake is going through a growth spurt, maybe I'll throw a meal first and then check temperatures. Um, but you know, if I just fed the snake and it's pushing, um, I know something is off more than likely with my husbandry. Um, and let me go ahead and just kind of make a, a statement real quick. Like as a retail keeper, as a snake keeper in general, you need to accept that sometimes your husbandry is not always going to be on point. That's going to happen. Um, and I almost, you know, want to, want to talk about Lucas's rant of the episode, but I don't think this is it. I don't, I don't feel it right now, but I will say that, um, the, the, fire's the fire's building, building up. up. I'm sure, I'm sure something will come to me later. Um, but, uh, it, it's just important that we humble ourselves and realize that like, we're not expert keepers. None of us are. I don't care if you've been breeding for 20 years, uh, and, and you think you're, you're, you're an expert and, and what you say is, is the word of keeping retakes. Or if you're just getting into this, it's important to acknowledge that things happen. Ambient temperatures in your rooms will fluctuate as the seasons change. Um, a probe might move. Um, so many things can happen that can throw off your husbandry that you won't know until again, the good thing about retics, they let you know. Um, and so, um, don't get complacent on that. Don't, don't ever like, Oh no, well, my husbandry was, was perfect three months ago when I set it up. So it's definitely not heating and humidity. Um, so always check that check heating. Yeah. Things can change. Your heat tape gets old. You know, there's, there's general maintenance that you need to make sure that you're doing to ensure that your husbandry's yeah. on point. Um, so in terms of, so we talked about, you know, food being a source and then definitely heating, um, and, and temperature and husbandry. So again, you want to see those, those temperatures in the 86 to 88 range, um, I know some people do well with 90 degrees. Uh, me and Nathan had talked about in previous episodes, both of us weren't comfortable keeping our retakes with a 90 degree hotspot, found it to be too hot. Um, I know some keepers that do it successfully, and um, but we like to shoot for 86 to 88. And, um, and again, as a reminder, you're way better off going a couple degrees cooler than a couple degrees too hot. Um, and so... If you're outside of those ranges, uh, especially on the hot side, I've noticed my retakes push when they're too hot. I've never seen them push when they're too cold. Have you? Uh, not that I can say, but I, I can't think of an instance besides maybe a couple power outages where things got too cold and when things get too cold i mean we're talking about cold-blooded animals you're generally going to be seeing them a little bit more dormant yeah, they're going to they look like out. couch potatoes um yep so any any time i've dealt with any kind of temperature drop it's it's the opposite so you know even even just knowing that it makes me want to adjust my cool side did, more than yeah. anything did did you get the the patreon reference there couch potato no i know it's not good in there it's not good um yeah so um and i and i actually agree with what nathan just said by the way um a lot of people don't realize that like if your hot spot is 88 which is perfect but like you don't have enough of a gradient uh and your cool side is like 81 82 too hot um you know again 
making sure that your temperature parameters are, are in there. And, and we have an episode that we can drop the link in the description that talks about temperature, humidity, and water. Um, we'll drop that in the link so you can go back, refresh your memory on what are the good gradient temperatures that you need. And if you're doing ambient, what the good ambient setup is to make sure that your snakes are happy and healthy with their temperature. But um, I think we wouldn't be doing like due diligence for this episode if we didn't actually like go into detail about like troubleshooting and what we've done to successfully get our snakes to stop pushing. Um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, as far as heating goes, I mean, I feel like that's pretty cut and dry. We've, we've covered in husbandry episodes, um, you know, general guidelines on, on heating, that kind of thing. So, uh, making sure you have the right hot and cool spot, but I guess from here, maybe we talk about the individuality of the animals. Sometimes you're going to have an animal that's either more, um, defensive, timid, scared, whatever you want to call it, that needs just a little bit of specialized care. I wouldn't call it extra care, but just specialized care for that animal to feel secure. So what are some things that we can do to make our animals feel a little bit more secure if we're dealing with something like that? And that's the cost. Yeah. Of so, I mean, first thing I think about add enrichment to the enclosure, add hides, add a humid hide, add a sky hide. Um, you know, go out. Those they're, sky they're hides awesome. are great. Um, I'm excited to get, uh, have an enclosure coming in with a built-in XL sky hide. Um, and so, um, yeah, so include more heights. Um, go to, uh, on Amazon or, or a pet store or wherever and get, you know, some foliage, some, some fake plants that, that you can, you know, suction cup on the side of the enclosures or the glass. Um, I mean, even if you like are on a budget. I mean, get your craft paper, your paper bedding, or get paper and just get large pieces of it and crumble it up a bit and just like put it in the enclosure for the snake to go under. Let it let it literally hide under paper. I know that they do that for blood pythons in terms of keeping them on paper. They'll add another layer that's crunched up for them to hide under. So mm -hmm. you don't have to get fancy. You don't need to buy expensive things. But what you want to do is is like psychologically let your snake realize that it's in a different setting, add more things to it and let it think about the new hides, the crumble paper, the sky hide, the humid hide. Yeah. Sometimes right? it's just exactly. a distraction. And let it, let it like, Oh, new surroundings. Let me hide here. Let me go over here. Um, and that, and as much as I want to promote our own stuff, uh, I think the only like somewhat comprehensive video on pushing would be Garrett's from Reach Out Reptiles. There's a, a great example in that video of him uh, crumpling up uh, some of this uh, shipping paper that he uses that's uh, it's corrugated and has holes, so it, it's really breathable. And he, he'll just crumple that up in some enclosures for the really timid animals, so it feels like they're burrowing yeah. through something. So you can get creative. You can go cheap. You can go expensive. You can do whatever you want. Um, but, but one way to curb it mm -hmm. is definitely adding more enrichment to a nervous animal um, because I definitely have had some animals uh, when they were younger that were much more defensive and nervous, and I noticed that they were more apt to wanting to push. Um, so they were either always in their hide or they were up pushing 
at, at the tip. And so uh, just add more to that cage is a good stepping stone on where to start um, if your temperatures are on point and you're feeding them well. Yeah, and I, I think enclosure type is extremely important too. Some animals are going to feel a little bit uh, more secure in uh, something that doesn't have a glass front or something that they feel exposed in. Uh, sometimes doing more of an opaque or even just totally non-transparent tub will help these animals feel more secure. Now, um, retics and tubs, you need to make sure the tub's the appropriate size. We're not just going to stuff these things in a little shoebox, that kind of thing, you know, keep these things responsibly. But, you know, the, the male that I worked with that had pushed his face in half that had, I cringe every time you say that. And well, I, I, it was only when he was a hatchling, he grew out of it pretty quick and healed up within a few sheds. You know, that's, just how these animals are. You'll you'll see animals that rub their head in the bag or rub their head when they're with you for whatever reason and you adjust the issue, you let them shed a couple times and for the most part you can't see any of the yeah, remaining yeah. damage. I mean they're uh yeah man, retakes are are probably one of the most resilient snakes that you can keep out there. Yeah, but back to what I was talking about um that male, he didn't do well well in uh, any glass front or any enclosure where he felt exposed or where you could see him. So he was kept in an FB70. Um, he was maybe five foot, worked well for him. He'd always shove himself towards the back, wedge himself in there. Yep. He felt great. And he was a pretty hands-off animal. You kind of deal with him like he's a hot and he's good to go. As long as your hands off and have him in his tub, he's a yeah. he's a happy guy. Um, and as a matter of fact, <laughs> you mentioning that kind of brought up another uh, a point that I think is relevant to the whole pushing um, in terms of nervous behavior. Um, so, like this breeding season, I bred a two and a half year old TK Kalatoa to a wild caught Kalatoa, and I initially put him in um, the six foot enclosure uh, that the female was in, and he was pacing back and forth, pushing, just like begging to be taken out. And this female was off of food. I was like, you're two and a half years old. You're about five and a half, six feet. You're definitely able to breed. Why are you not doing this? And so what I ended up doing, um, intentionally, unintentionally, um, is so I accidentally broke the glass to one of my larger enclosures. So I had to make some moves and so I decided I was going to put that female wildcaught Kalatoa in one of my large ARS racks that are about five foot long. Um, and so I put her in there with the male because that's where I keep the male. It's a five foot by like 30 inches deep. So it's like a five foot by 30 inch deep tub uh, or rack system. Yeah, for, for super dwarfs and smaller retics, those are I have all my enclosures. males in them for now and they have enough height for me to put, you know, PVC and hides and different things in them. And so they work well, but I put the female in there and because they have these small windows in the front and I didn't want to bother the male, but the male was not exhibiting any pushing signs. I didn't see him pacing back and forth. And within a few weeks, my female ovulated and she had a clutch. So clearly just goes to show that if you have an insecure animal, um, you know, a, a 
too big of an enclosure is going to cause the pacing, the pushing, the trying to escape behavior. Well, and then you brought up another point as well, which is that window in the front or the glass front, whichever you're dealing with, if you have either on your tubs or uh, on your enclosures. Sometimes throw up a piece of paper over that so they can't see out. You can't see in. That is huge. Make them feel like they're enclosed in somewhere and they will, they're, their attitude will totally Again, change. you keep mentioning amazing points and it keeps bringing up examples to every point that you make. But my, my female Kalatoa, whenever she is cycling, so the last two years that I bred her, um, about two weeks into her being gravid, so for the last two weeks, she'd pace up and down, she'd push her enclosure. And this is a female that you can just see her loaded with eggs. So it's tearing at my heart. And so each of those two years, the way that I stopped that behavior was by putting paper over it, taping it over it and and not allowing light to go in there. And every single time that I would go in and just pull the paper back to check on her, I would look in and see that she was just resting and chilling this year because she was in that ARS rack. She never paced or pushed And it just, it just clicked to me right now. Exactly what you were saying. And I, I don't know why this has nothing to do with pushing, it just kind of goes to the uh, uh, kind of seclusion that we try to offer the retics this time of year when they're in their breeding cycle is a lot of the times when I'm cycling females, I'll, I'll, I'll turn off the lights that I have in my enclosures yeah. too. I won't, I won't have any light cycling through those enclosures. So I, I just feel like it helps the female feel a little bit more secure i mean it makes sense like if i'm gonna just like sit there and make eggs and then lay a bunch of eggs and then sit around those eggs i want to be in a very safe space i'm sure in the wild they do it not wide open and out in the open and so for us to try to replicate that you know i I think that's just good keeping yeah so sorry small tangent but yeah Uh, i think uh you know uh back to enrichment you have shelves different pvc or different perch ideas that you can incorporate into your enclosures that can help just work off some energy if you have an energetic retic that just needs that extra time and then sometimes it just comes down to handling your animals more sometimes they need that hands-on enrichment to just get out of their yeah. environment a little bit um my, my male turnate is like that um, for some reason, and I'm not trying to anthropomorphize or anthropom. Okay. I'm no, not trying to do on. that, but I, I literally, um, he is probably my only retic where if I just fed him a big meal and, um, he, he's doing his thing, he, he will cruise back and forth. And I, I notice this every time, but when he's cruising back and forth, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to open it up. And I handle him for 10, 15 minutes. I'll let him go on the floor. Or I'll take him outside for an extended period of time when the weather's right here in Texas. And it stops his cruising for weeks. Um, it, yeah, sometimes I just need to he, be worn out. You know, a, a lot of the times I see that with yeah. my younger animals. And it, it, think about it. It's just they're going through growth spurts and stuff. So they're they're working out calories. Yeah. You know, it's it's. Like uh, like a toddler, you just got to burn that energy off. Yeah, and I mean, there's even times where like he burns off the energy, but then there's times where like I'll go outside with him and he just sits on me 
And so again, and I don't know if maybe he wants that social, not even social, again, not trying to, to try to humanize these animals, but I, I really do think that out of all of my retakes, he's the only one that I will say this about. Um, because anytime I open up his enclosure, I never have to worry about a food first response. I never have to worry about defensive behavior. He is literally one of a kind animal where I open up and he's always curious first food second. He reacts to food and his first response is curiosity. Um, so when I notice him pacing back and forth and like pushing at the lip a little bit, I, I take him out and socialize, interact with him for 30 minutes. And that stops that behavior for weeks. Well, and who knows that that sun behavior that you're talking about going out into the yard could be everything. I mean, go back to, if if you're a Patreon member, jump on and watch the fireside chat with Ryan McVeigh. Uh, but that that could just be the effects of the UVB and him getting that enrichment from the sorry, not even UVB, mm-hmm. the full spectrum uh, UVA UVB uh, spectrum that the snake can yeah. soak up. It it could just yeah. be that animal enjoying the effects of being outside and getting the natural benefits from the sun. Um, So if it's okay with you, I want to talk about a little bit more of like complicated pushing. So, because at the end of the day, I think that we've already talked a good amount about like pushing is going to be generalized based off of like two main, two different things, or I guess three that we've talked about. One is not feeding enough, being hungry Two is if your temperature or husbandry is not on point. And then three, if there's insecurity um, and, and you know, feeling like they need to escape because they feel insecure. But um, so for those of you listening that have like the first incident of pushing, if you correct those things for the most part, your snakes are going to be good. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about like excessive pushing because I've had some experience with that. Um yeah, and you'll I'll, I'll offer insight here and there. I haven't had to the level of that mail quite yet or anything that's been too concerning. So, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, so um, what what's crazy is that reticulated pythons are extremely smart. Um, and I had a, a uh, you know, someone that used to be a mentor of mine um, break this down for me, and he told me that if you have a an excessive pusher, so excessive pushing happens for, for a few reasons. Um, so I'll use my Kayuati as an example and an orange glow mainland that I used to have. Um, but I couldn't figure it out. It was when I was new at keeping retics and they would push, they would push. I would check temperatures. They were fine. Um, I would feed more, still wouldn't stop. And I'm assuming at some point in time, that the temperatures were off and it got them to push. But because these retics are smart, this individual told me that um, sometimes if they notice a spot in their enclosure where they feel like there's an escape route, um, they will start to develop OCD-like behavior, that's obsessive compulsive disorder. So OCD-like behavior, like they will obsessively and compulsively try to find that gap even after you've corrected your husbandry or feeding or security issues. Um, for me, for me, I was using yep. uh, an enclosure design that had that gap that I've talked about in other episodes that they would just relentlessly push and push and push. Um, and so 
if you don't fix it early enough on, you run the risk of your snake starting to develop this behavior um, that becomes obsessive in nature of them wanting to just escape that discomfort even after you've made it comfortable. So um, that's happened to me. Um, and I, I kind of want to give a a like troubleshoot guide for those of you that have like excessive pushers. Um, you cool that Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. So I I just want to hit on one thing. I I actually have dealt with something similar in, in the little condo enclosures that I have. It's a four by two. Um, it has a little divider and it has a little gap right in the front top where the light bar that was originally in the enclosure went through. And I had an animal figure out that it could go over into the other side. Same thing. Once I corrected that issue, that animal would constantly push into that spot to try to get over to the other side. So, you know, these, these animals in the end of the day are extremely intelligent. And if they know that they can get through somewhere, they're going to try it again. Um, and, and so, you know, once they have that locked in their mind, um, they, they will try to do it after you fix the problem. So I'm going to kind of go through a trouble. This was like a topic of conversation that came up on Discord, which is exactly why we're doing this episode. One of our Discord members was having an issue uh, with pushing, and I kind of gave this guide, and, and me and Nathan were talking about, like, what, what what's our next episode? And we were like, oh, let's do pushing. Um, so um, when you have an excessive pusher, um I'm going to kind of give you, and I know a lot of people like a step-by-step type of, you know, they like to know that there's a step one, step two. So, um, so obviously we've already talked about step one, which is look at your feeding. If you're feeding not as frequently, they might be going through a growth spurt, whatever the case may be, you might need to increase the feeding regimen or increase the size. So that's step one. Look at that. As they're feeding and digesting, go ahead and look at your temperatures. That's step two. So we've already talked about that. You look at temperatures, temp the hot side, temp, temp the cold side, make sure that your range is in between mid-70s to mid-80s, mid-upper 80s. And if that is good, step three, you add that enrichment, right? Um, if that enrichment is still not working at this point, there's a good chance that your snake has developed that OCD-like behavior of trying to escape. So for me... It was having an enclosure design where there was a gap in between the substrate dam and the sliding door. So I'm not going to be able to do my shapes to actually demonstrate this, but there's an exact three-eighths of an inch gap for a lot of PVC manufactured enclosures that will uh, leave a gap because the, the sliding doors are not directly on. All right, we lost Nathan. Hopefully he, he comes back on soon. There he is. Maybe. Anyways. Um, so with that gap being said, um, that's where my snakes pushed. They found that gap and they, they, they pushed in and they pushed their face all the way down to where I would see their neck directly up and, and their body at a 90 degree angle. Um, so if any of you have those style enclosures, I want to encourage you look out for the scabs that are going to be under the jaw. There's like two lines that they'll develop where you'll see that true tail sign that they are pushing and wedging their face in there. So 
If you get to that point and you're unable to fix that behavior, there are a few things that you can try and do. So number one is you can cut a piece of PVC or you can find like a window sealant like foam padding to try to block off that gap that is in there. Um, what that's going to help you do is is realize that the snake doesn't have the gap anymore and you are going to be able to close that gap so that it's no longer pushing in there. However, some snakes are still going to still try to push there and find other areas to push. So ultimately, if enrichment, feeding, uh, temperature, closing that gap does not work, you're going to need to consider, and I know this stinks because they're expensive, but you might have to consider changing who you buy your enclosures from. That was the very first reason why I went with Mark at Jungle Cages. I had heard good things already, but I realized that his sliding track doors were directly on the substrate dam and there was no longer that 3 8 inch. And I was able to get those snakes into those enclosures and no longer have that issue. Um, other ways that you can fix that problem, if your snake is smaller, you can put it in like a 3 or 4 foot Christmas tree size tote tub um, while you're waiting for your enclosure so it doesn't have that gap and that stopped the behavior for my Kaiwadi. I put her back in a four foot long tub so that she didn't have that wedge to just destroy her face and keep pushing. Um, that worked amazing and then moved her in the enclosure and she was great in there. Um, so, you know, there's, there's going to be some of you are going to go through this problematic excessive pushing and you might fix everything in the world and be a great keeper. You know, I don't want you guys to be discouraged when this happens because sometimes it's not just only you. Sometimes the snake's behavior takes over. So ultimately, you might have to change your setup and, and confuse it so that th that gap is no longer there and it stops. Yeah. So, I mean, what 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 else is there to say about pushing? Oh, it was something I'm. I no, have something, first. but you 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 sound like no, you have I just, something I just burning again. So I want you to go. I need I need a sip of of tequila. I just want everyone to know, just because I see people get overly concerned with pushing, especially when it first starts happening to new keepers. I, I want you to know that. Nine out of ten times when you have a, a pushing animal, as long as you follow these guidelines and, and make sure your husbandry's on point, your animal will shed out and your animal will heal. Um you know, that that that's a big thing. Um another thing I wanna add that I think is great enrichment that you can add into your enclosure to help with insecure animals, animals that are uh having issues with shedding that kind of thing that can lead to pushing um add a humid hide add in a little tupperware box that the snake can still fit into but very secure and then add some moss or a wet a couple wet paper towels or whatever just to make that hide humid or so or, it could, you know yeah mulch yeah, if you're getting chip. uh uh 
uh, really yeah. fine cocoa. Yeah, there's you know Literally there's, go to there's Pet great Spark. options. You can find anything that that would be good to spray on and keep moist and humid. Yeah, let that animal animal kind of feel like it's burrowing in a, a damp environment, and it'll yeah. it'll be great for that. Um, yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. Um, so one thing that I wanted to mention was was sometimes that pushing. If you've left your husbandry, get a little wonky, which happens. Like, again, I'm not here to shame you for that. It's going to happen to everyone if you keep a retake or two or three. At some point in your retake keeping, your husbandry might be thrown off from a change of season, whatever the case may be. But but pushing can also be an early sign of respiratory infection. Um, I've experienced this myself. I've also talked to other keepers. Um, so there's two different type of respiratory infections. There's an upper respiratory and a lower respiratory infection. A lot of the time we associate, um, when we think about like respiratory infections, we think of like the bubbling and, and the wheezing and all these different things that, that like are very clear signs. Those are all upper respiratory infections. Lower respiratory infections are harder to notice and treat and they're, they're really deep down within the lungs. They haven't, you know, they, they've been sitting and they haven't reached that top part yet. And not all respiratories will end up being an upper respiratory infection. So sometimes, you know, if, if at the end of the day, your snake is pushing and pushing and you've done everything in this video and everything on other, every other video you can think of, go take your snake to the vet. I can't, I can't express the importance and, and Nathan, we should probably do an episode on this on, on veterinary care because it's kind of this like taboo thing in the retic industry. You're on mute. Gosh. Ever, I'm sorry. Veterinary, veterinary care or just our eyes in general. Sorry. I just, you know, my mic's turned up, so I didn't want any typing coming through anyways. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, an episode on veterinary care an episode on our eyes in general. Uh, there's some great keepers out here. There's some great vets out here that have done work with retics and our eyes using nebulizers. I would love to have some of those keepers on. Weston. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. Weston with wildfire retics. He's had to really work some animals through some hard stuff. I mean, he's moved animals from Colorado to Utah in the middle of a breeding season. So, you know, you name it with retics and he's dealt with it. So I think that would be an extremely uh, helpful resource for yeah. anyone in this community. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like d don't know that you have a vet and, and even if you don't trust your vet with taking care of a large constrictor, just literally call a vet and say, Hey, I would like a, um, What's it called? Um, I'd like a culture of my snake's saliva yeah. done to see if there's any infections. So, like, I've done that in the past. A lot of times if you go to a vet and, and, and the vet's not experienced and you say, I think my snake has an RI. And they go there, they'll hear the breathing, and they'll say, yeah, your snake has an RI. Here's this prescription, which is normally Batro, which is not not the best you know, line of, of care for veterinarians, what they should be doing is a culture. And so I don't even say my snake might have a respiratory. I go there and say, I would like a culture done. Um, and, and, and at that point they backs against a the wall, they're going to do a culture. Um, so 
go to a vet, get a culture done, and make sure that your snake doesn't have an RI because oftentimes pushing is a good, again, retics are amazing at telling you something is wrong with pushing. And if you fix everything in the world, including changing cage, and it's not changing uh, their behavior of pushing, take it to a vet. I mean, in, in worst case scenario, a culture is $100, $150, and then the, the exam is 75 bucks, so you're out $250. But at the end of the day, you're able to rule out or confirm an RI, which, you know, is peace of mind for a keeper, in my opinion. Um, it, it... Yeah, so if, if you have prolonged pushing, which is months and months of pushing, multiple sheds without that animal changing behavior, even though you're changing husbandry and trying everything, then, yeah. yeah. It's time to see a vet. On that note, we have somehow talked about pushing for 40 plus minutes. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, it only says seven <laughs> minutes on my end because I've I've had to reload a couple times. So we're just starting to, to talk right, about pushing. From the Lucas. start, let's talk about pushing. <laughs> <laughs> top Gun from the top. Um, if anyone gets that reference, I, so, I love you. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I, again, just make sure you're a US ARC member. Uh, if you want some back access, uh, that fireside chat with Ryan McVeigh, just us working with our collection stuff, we're trying to post that we, we just take extra time out of our day to make sure we're getting for our, our Patreon members. Go on to Patreon, join, become a lounger, become a couch potato, become a lazy bones. I'm sure I'm forgetting Two. one, but you know, join up, uh, give us any feedback. We love the feedback. It helps us grow. So please comment, like subscribe, share if you feel so inclined and we'll see you on All the right. next one. Thanks for listening.